This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. It's a it's an honor, actually, for me personally um, to be able to host this show. Um, as a lawyer, I have spent 30 years in this space. Um, I can't say that I've spent too much of my time practicing law um, in the whistleblower arena, but if you want to get the most significant deep dive into the laws of whistleblower protections in our country, not just for federal employees, but employees in every sector of our society, this is the show you'd want to listen to. We have the top experts from the top groups across the country who um, protect whistleblowers and advocate for their protections. And I want to start first with John Kostiak, who's new to my show. He is the executive director of the National Whistleblower Center. Good morning, John. It's such an honor to meet you. Good morning, Deborah. Thanks for inviting me on. And um, there's, um, of course, a man I've admired for almost all of my career, and I had the honor of starting to work with him about five years ago directly on um, collaborative work for both his groups and our groups, and it's Tom Devine, who's the legal director of the Government Accountability Project. Good morning, Tom. Welcome back. Howdy. Thanks for the invitation. Um, and of course, um, you, can't do, you can't do a show on whistleblower protections that involve particularly federal employees without having the Project on Government Oversight. In our town, we call it POGO. <laughs> um, and um, with us today is the Director of Public Policy at POGO, Liz Hempowitz. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Deborah. Thanks so much for having and me. And Liz and I have had the opportunity to work together a couple of years ago, so it's really nice to see her back in studio. Um, one of the fun things for me today is that everyone on air is a lawyer, and so we get to talk like lawyers and sound like lawyers and think like lawyers, and I really enjoy that. Um, and for the listeners out there, I assure you that it won't be too legalistic. You actually will understand what these folks have to say. So um, stay tuned. We have um, a, a, a real packed show. First, I thought what we'd do is go through our guests and um, just give us a brief little summary of what your organization does. Um, and we'll start, John, with you, um, the National Whistleblower Center. Thanks, Deborah. Appreciate the opportunity to do a little plug. Um, so uh, National Whistleblower Center is a nonprofit based here in D.C. that's been around for 31 years. And we have two main focuses. One is winning strong whistleblower protections in policy. And that's working on Capitol Hill. It's working in the federal agencies. We do work at the states. We do some work abroad, particularly in the EU. We, uh, we may, at some point, want to talk about what's going on in other countries. But heavy focus on U.S. policy. And so that's one body of work. And the other is providing legal assistance to whistleblowers. And so we do that in two ways. One is through educational work. We do a lot of outreach through workshops and trainings. And we have our website, which has abundant material on whistleblower law and protection. Whistleblowers.org is the website. Um, and, but we also have a, a system, an intake system for getting people connected to qualify whistleblower lawyers. We have a network of lawyers we work with and farm out cases. And so if you go to our website and you see the report fraud button, that's how you get into our intake system. Um, and so we help uh, uh, whistleblowers get legal representation, which we think is critical. Yeah, no. Um, and each one of their websites, for those of you who are listening, is worth a real deep dive, um, particularly if you're contemplating the consequences of blowing the whistle. Tom, you've been with um, Government Accountability Project GAP um, since. Should we say? T should we tell people how long you've been there? Um, Maybe not. Forty happy years. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and um, really, sort of um, been incredibly personally instrumental in getting whistleblower protections for the federal workforce. Tell us about GAP, the work of GAP. Well. GAPS um, helped about 8,000 whistleblowers during the last 40 years. And 
we do it through four ways. One is we defend them against retaliation. Uh, and uh, we do litigation, but we also try to do legal campaigns, kind of a political campaign for the truth to get solidarity behind the whistleblowers, which I found is even more effective than formal legal rights in many cases. The second thing is we, we investigate their charges and help them make a difference. Um, uh, we've uh, teamed up with them to stop numerous nuclear power plants that were accidents waiting to happen, shutting down toxic incinerators that were poisoning um, poor neighborhoods in the South, um, blocked the Department of Agriculture from um, eliminating federal inspection of uh, government-approved meat and poultry five times. Um, the third thing that we do is constantly fight for stronger free speech laws. And um, I've been on the front lines for campaigns for about um, three dozen, 36 uh, whistleblower laws from Washington, D.C. to the new uh, European Union Directive, which creates binding free speech rights in 28 countries, mm -hmm. and even stronger than the U.S. law, which has been the centerpiece of our work, the U.S. Whistleblower Protection Act. And the fourth thing we do is share our lessons learned. Run a law school clinic at the D.C. School of Law. Um, we put out survival guides and books. Um, uh, for federal workers and corporate workers. And most recently, we teamed with um, my colleague from Pogo, um, who is kind of leading a project and invited us for um, a book on helping people to blow the whistle anonymously so they don't end up in jail like Reality Winner when she tried to do the right thing. Liz Hempowitz from Pogo, Project on Government Accountability. Um, um, your your the your organization has a wider span than just um, whistleblowers. Mm -hmm. So it's, you're sort of an interesting, um, broader piece to bring into our puzzle. Yeah, so the Project on Government Oversight, or POGO, as I will call it, because it's I, kind I of like, a mouthful. I know, uh, I like saying POGO. Yeah, we've got a POGO stick in our front office, which is hilarious. And uh, I like saying office, gap, which is hilarious. <laughs> John's yeah. the one who has to come up with NWC, yeah. didn't work. Um, <laughs> but POGO, you're right, uh, POGO is a nonpartisan, independent watchdog organization that investigates and exposes um, corruption and abuse of power on, the, and on, the ha on behalf of the federal government. Um, and that work is really heavily dependent on, on whistleblowers within the, within the federal system. And so we see our work as um, because we're so dependent on whistleblowers and uh, we want to make sure that whistleblowers that come to us have the strongest protections possible. We do uh, we do a lot of policy work, kind of working with Congress to strengthen whistleblower protections. But we also then do kind of the second prong of that work is is working to educate federal employees or contractors who who uh, maybe aren't even interested in becoming whistleblowers, but just should understand their rights in the legal landscape. Um, we you know we help them by providing resources, and we as Tom mentioned, we put out a book last year uh, called uh, "Caught Between Conscience and Career," uh, with the 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 gist behind the book. Is, um, is how to blow the whistle and remain anonymous, how to protect yourself, because while there are protections in law, they may not go as far as we would mm -hmm. like. Uh, and we also I put think out, it's impossible to remain no, anonymous. It, 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 well, it absolutely is, and we do make mm -hmm. that point many times in the book, that you can do all the things, all the best practices, and still you know, still be your cover is blown. Um, but, we, but we want people to at least have a, a, a clear understanding of what that landscape is. But we also put out a, uh, on our website, we have a bunch of resources for federal employees and contractors to kind of figure out where they fall in this. And I think one thing we'll talk about today is kind of the um, the patchwork of protections that, uh, that whistleblowers um, benefit from depending on where they are. And so we've tried to make it as easy as possible for federal employees to understand those. And, you know, Liz, that's the best way to describe it at best most polite way is it is a patchwork. The thing that's the most interesting to me about the three of you and your organizations is that, you know, I'm, I'm very segmented. My work, my employment law work is very compartmentalized inside the federal community. And, um, and I haven't strayed far from that to private sector um, employment and learning um, all of the arrays of laws to get ready for this show that apply to the private sector where all three of your organizations are actually very active in. Um, and I think that really helps the three of you in your organizations advance um, a more cohesive view of the law on whistleblower protections. Um, and so for our listeners, I know you're used to hearing all about your federal employment rights, but the show's going to expand today. We're going to talk about the rights of employees outside the federal government, because that really informs um, how um, how you all advocate for you know, changes in law, tightening of laws and protections. 
inside the workforce. So, um, so I know we're, we're for our listeners. I know we're going a little bit beyond our comfort zone, but but stay with me. We can do this, um, and we're gonna take a short break. Um, um, but when we come back, we're gonna go through all of the laws or most of the laws that we can cover for employees in our country, talk about how they protect and talk about where the gaps are. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. It's our deep dive show into federal whistle um, into whistleblower protection laws. And um, so now we're going to start our dive. And because most of our listeners are federal employees, we're going to start with Tom Devine um, from GAP, who was really instrumental in the Whistleblower Protection Act, 1989. It's our bedrock law. Um, and for our listeners, can you explain to us what is the state of the law today? You know, what what laws protect um, the Title V workforce? Well, for federal workers, they enjoy really an unprecedented, (laughs) unique political mandate for freedom of speech to defend the public against abuses of power. And uh, one of the world's weakest um, actual rights in reality (laughs) to act on that political mandate. So it's been very frustrating for us. The Whistleblower Protection Act rights have been unanimously passed by Congress four times. Um, But... Unfortunately, federal workers still have really kind of minor league due process to enforce those rights. Um, Unlike the private sector, where there's been a legal revolution since 2002, they don't have access to jury trials in court to defend themselves against retaliation. They have to go to kind of a a minor league administrative board, uh, the Merit Systems Protection Board, that hasn't even had the members to make a final decision since January 2017. Uh, It's dysfunctional for them. And this just really eats at us. Um, uh, The idea that... um, Federal workers who have the most significant responsibilities to defend the public against abuses of power have rights so much weaker than private sector employees. Um, How can you expect first-class service with second-class rights Mm -hmm. by them? Um, The second big flaw that we're fighting in a project on government oversight and NWC is teaming up absolutely with us, the whole coalition, about 80 um, groups that span the ideological spectrum is to get protection against retaliatory investigations. Almost every reprisal starts with a witch hunt. And these things can lead into criminal referrals, which aren't even covered by the civil service laws. And uh, this is inexcusable. All the corporate laws protect against retaliatory investigations. Even the military whistleblower protection protects against witch hunts, but not for civil service employees. And the third thing that's a huge gap right now uh, is that they don't have access to temporary relief. And these cases take five years or longer to play out. So even if they're one of the the few lucky ones who win their case, it's almost too late. Um, it doesn't matter anymore. It's like the patient who finally gets the great heart surgeon, uh, but he was behind schedule and they're dead by the time he arrives in the operating room. Um, we've got our work cut out for us. So um, that's the main. That's the main WPA, which, as you as you point out, Tom, um, 1989 um, reformed four times or, or three times since then, and um, we're going to dive a little deeper into those gaps in the law um, and and why they're you know why they're important to fill. Um, but that's your basic Title V employee, um, Liz. There's this category of Title V employees, those in the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. Um, who up until a certain point in time, they didn't have even the basic protections of the WPA. Tell our listeners about that. Right. So, you know, the way Tom described it was so great that these are minor league. Um, The WPA is like minor league uh, protections, I would say, for uh, for other subsets of the federal federal workforce and not just federal employees, but um, contractors as well, um, is between uh, have even weaker protections or weaker enforcement mechanisms for those protections. And the two that come immediately to mind are the intelligence community, uh, both employees and contractors, and then also um, 
active duty military personnel. Uh, so in the intelligence community context, uh, you know, and in the news all the time, whether there's, you know, a, a classified leak or, or things like that, um, we're talking about a subset of federal employees and contractors that have incredibly weak protections. On paper, the protections look like they are a close mirror to Title V protections, but there is very little enforcement built into the law. A lot of the enforcement. Well, I think those, there's no enforcement. Right. Well, the, there's You're a being line. Polite. The, right, right. There's a line in the I law think they that have says. No forum. Right. The line in the law says uh, enforcement will be provided by the President of the United States, which is hilarious that, con- that right. that's how Congress right. decided Good luck to legislate. For one it. federal employee to get the attention of the President no, of the United exactly. States. No, exactly. What that, what that refers to now is the Presidential Policy Directive 19, which uh, President Obama uh, issued when he was in office, um, that laid out kind of the administrative steps that you go through if you want to enforce your whistleblower protections in the intelligence community. Some of those now have been codified. Part of that hasn't been codified. Uh, but I think it kind of highlights not only the uh, disparate treatments that, that whistleblowers have across across sectors, but even just in this one sector, the intelligence community, we're relying on uh, laws in like three different places in the U.S. U.S. code, where you're relying on presidential policy directive, part of which has been codified, other parts haven't been codified. You know, they've been interpreted different ways by the different intelligence community agencies. It's almost impossible for a whistleblower on their own mm-hmm. to even just get a sense of the landscape, the legal landscape they're operating in. And, and that reminds me the you know, on their own, how could they do this? Um, it's just a, a very, it's a momentary aside. Um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, there was the uh, HVAC uh, hearing on whistleblowers where Tom testified and um, Becca from your all, mm-hmm. uh, from your group testified. And one of the other, uh, I forgot her name, Jackie from... Jackie Garrett. Yeah. And she was asked a bunch of questions about, you know, this new office. We're going to talk about it later in the show inside of the VA and, you know, and how is it working and what are the issues and the problems. And there was all this grilling of the three of you, Tom, you, Tom, um, Jackie and Becca. And she finally, after like 10 minutes of trying to whatever, she said, you know what? You need a law degree. I realize you need a law degree or spend $200,000 on a lawyer to be able to protect yourself. Um, And that's because of this patchwork that we have been describing. Um, and uh, so I always say to I always say to Tom, count me in when you want to go to the hill and eliminate this patchwork mm-hmm. and bring consistency. John's shaking his head because we're going to talk about sort of what the the, the uh, platform is for all of that in a moment. But Liz, there's one other class of federal mm-hmm. employees, for lack of a better word, I don't know what to call them, but the uniform service. Mm-hmm. They actually have some protections. They do have some protections, and um, jo- and do- Tom might jump in too on that. I see. Yeah, no, please do jump in, Tom. Uh, but. But they do have protections, but it's uh, the I think the the most important thing to know about um, protections for uh, the military for whistleblower protections for the military is that they have an inverted burden of proof when they are trying to inf- when they're trying to um, uh, bring their case before the uh, administrative body that will that will look at it and see and set and make a determination whether or not you have been retaliated against for your whistleblowing um, for all other federal employees, the burden is on the agency to show that they would have taken whatever adverse personnel action against you that they took, regardless of whether you blew the whistle. In the military, it's an individual that has to prove that the Pentagon would have done whatever it is, whatever action that they took, regardless of whether or not you blew the whistle. Or sorry, because you blew the whistle. So the burden is on the individual rather than the agency. And and the one thing we hear when we're trying, when we're up on the hill trying to uh, trying to correct this is that you know they they're doing it to preserve uh, preserve the chain of command. And and my response to that is that it, there's no disruption to chain of command if you are just required to prove why you took an action. And when we're talking about firing or se- or or, um, or putting somebody on suspension or docking, you know, docking their pay, you should be able to, as a as an employer, you should be able to prove why you're doing that. And so the argument that it would disrupt chain of command seems to fall really flat to me. Mm-hmm. It's interesting um, that they have some limited whistleblower protections in the uniform service. That's out of the NDAA of 2017, something I didn't know until I got ready for the show. In addition to Liz's point, um, it, just like the intelligence community, military service whistleblowers have rights on paper, but they don't mm-hmm. have any due process to enforce them. Um, they have to go to the Pentagon Office of Inspector General to challenge retaliation. And that's an agency that has a long history of retaliating against its own whistleblowers. Right, right. but even if they were to act in favor of the military, the uniform service whistleblower, there's no, they can't enforce 
their decision. It's, you know, we're going to talk about this later in the show, but it's the, you know, it's the ability, you keep the employer honest when they know that there's this independent outside enforcer mm-hmm. that's going to say, you lose, now you have to restore this person to employment or whatever it is. And, um, and in, the, in the intelligence national security part of the federal community, they've just been reluctant to give them a forum. And I think that point, what's really important to remember about that point is absolutely right. But what happens then is that there's no incentive for these empl- employees in the intelligence community or in the or in the military to go through the internal proper channels. And if that's what we all want, you know, we want to reduce classified leaks to the press, then what you need to do is is create enforceable protections for those individuals to go through the proper channels. Yeah. And yeah. until you do that, we can't we can't, you know, the problem is not the individual whistleblowers, the problem is with the system. What happens when you go through the proper channels? Tom Drake's case at the right. National Security Agency is a great example. He went, he did everything by the book, went to the Pentagon Inspector General and blew the whistle on the same domestic surveillance abuses that Mr. Snowden did. But Mr. Drake followed all the rules. What happened when the, the scandals got into the paper? The Pentagon IJ figured him as the, as the likely leaker. He was put under criminal investigation. Because he'd internally blown the whistle, so they thought, oh, he must have been the external blower. Uh, right. Yes, as he did it within the system, maybe he was the leaker too. And then when they couldn't find that he was the leaker, they said, well, you were intending to go to the media, uh, and you had evidence that you were going to use with the media. And they saw 35 years of incarceration under the Official Secrets Act against him. We defended him, and he won, but his life was a nightmare. Uh, that's no incentive to work through institutional checks and balances. Right. It's it's almost like um, you're walking into a trap when right. you follow the rules. Mm-hmm. You have to be a real. You have to be beyond brave, John. We're going to um, start with start in this segment talking about. I want to now talk about the private sector, and I know we're going to continue after the break. But um, but the real there's some you know real protections for whistleblowers in the private sector, and as lawyers, we view that to be the ability to go to court. Like right. there is no substitute for that. So tell fact, us about know, those laws. Yeah, there's a lot of downsides to this patchwork we've been talking about, right? But the, one of the upsides is we have lessons learned from different parts of the law that we can apply back. So the feds, federal employees should have access to jury trials, to the courts mm-hmm. system. We've now established it for the private sector. It's a very uh, well-functioning, workable model. And why not apply that to the federal uh, workforce? So Tell that, us about that because that's in Dodd-Frank, right? Right. It's in Dodd-Frank. I mean, Explain the, the, that to our listeners, like what – what that statute, what kinds of protections that statute provides in the private sector? Okay. Well, we, we have certain protections that were established and then some were taken away by recent Supreme Court rulings. Uh, but in general, you get to go and file a petition with the SEC and that is reviewable in court. And so you are- uh, And you're blowing the whistle on what? Okay. Corporate fraud. So any kind of statements to the share, to shareholders and the public that are misleading- are essentially potentially actionable under Dodd-Frank. And so um, if you have um, uh, original information, which is really the key terminology here, you don't necessarily need to be inside the company. The typical whistleblower is inside the company. But anyone with an original information demonstrating that uh, somebody in the leadership of a company is making fraudulent statements to shareholders and the public, they have a cause of action. And so it's it's clearly stated. It's, uh, it's a clear path uh, for whistleblowers. Now, Recent Supreme Court ruling known as the digital realty case has confused the situation by essentially punishing uh, whistleblowers who have gone through internal um, reporting uh, mechanisms. And so we're trying to get that fixed. We're working in coalition. uh, And let's explain that to our listeners what it means by punishing them. The Supreme Court in 2018 said they interpreted the statute of what's the definition of whistleblowing and whistleblowing uh, under the statute, they said that the statute, defi- this, by reading the statute, the definition of whistleblowing was you had to report the information outside to the SEC, that if you did internal disclosures and were retaliated, it wasn't protected activity under the statute. Did I get that right? You got it right. That's right. And, um, and so that's the 2018 decision. I assume there's some legislative proposals or an intent to do that. Mm-hmm. Um because it's, it's very similar, John, to what Liz and, and Tom were talking about, um, this disincentive to start inside the organization. Exactly. Um, and now there's no incentive in, the, in corporate America because 
Supreme Court said that's not whistleblowing. Actually, there's some kind of good news on that. Dodd-Frank is um, a kind of a parallel law to one that's much more functional, the Sarbanes-Oxley mm-hmm. whistleblower law. And under that Which one, you're explicitly— That was passed in 2002. It covers all publicly traded corporations in the country. And under that one, uh, you're explicitly protected for internal disclosures. And uh, you have an administrative remedy at the Department of Labor if you can't afford to go to court. And if they don't give you a decision in 180 days, you can go to court and have a jury trial which isn't available under Dodd-Frank. You get a bench trial with a judge there. Then in in my experience, being able to um, uh, defend your rights before the citizens that you were purporting to, de- purporting to defend yourself when you risk your life, mm-hmm. professional life, that's the essence of being able to have justice. And we view that to be, as lawyers, I mean, we view that to be the sort of the foundation of our democracy is that, you know, we're, as citizens, we're all equal. And that when we get, you know, when we get a judge, we get a judge in front of a jury of our peers. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk with John um, more about the difference between um, Sarbanes-Oxley and Dodd-Frank because those differences are starting to surface now in litigation. But we need to take our mid-show break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. If you've just joined us, um, this is really an exceptional show, and um, it's the what I call the deep dive into the state of whistleblower laws, and not just whistleblower laws and protections um, in the federal system, but na- and a sort of a look at nationwide of the laws that protect all employees, not just in the federal workforce, but in corporate America. And understanding what those laws are, where the protections are, where the gaps are, I think is incredibly informative inside the federal community. John, before we took a break, we were talking about um, um, the recent 2018 Dodd-Frank decision. And I know that groups like yours and POGO are working on a legislative fix. Um, can, can we expect to see proposed legislation in, in the future to deal with that um, uh, that 2018 decision that that interpreted the definition of whistleblowing, meaning that you are only covered by the statute if you blew the whistle outside your company. Yeah, we're cautiously optimistic that we're going to get help from Congress on this. Senator Grassley came to our National Whistleblower Day event and actually signaled that he was preparing uh, legislation on this. Um, and so that was very significant to us that he was willing to go out in public and, and um, you know push that forward. And so he has uh, demonstrated over the many uh, years his uh, commitment to whistleblowers and his ability to get things done. And so we'll be all of our groups will be working closely with Senator Grassley's office to help make that happen. Yeah. And on that point, the huh? House did. Um, the House already has passed a bill that would um, that would uh, fix the fix the problem uh, highlighted by the Supreme Court case in 2018. So really, we're just now waiting on the Senate to act. So just for me and Tom to have a moment of fun here, we all remember like 15, 20 years ago when the federal circuit said whistleblowing didn't include for the federal employee mm-hmm. blowing the whistle, disclosing it to your supervisor. And um, um, and of course, it took an act of Congress to change that. So, um, you know, um, I'm, who's surprised? I, I, you know, if you've, if you've been in this space as long as I've been in this space, I'm not surprised to hear the Supreme Court say in, an, in a strict interpretation the way that statute was written, hey, it doesn't cover the internal because we went through that in the federal workforce. I think that's true of almost all rights, Deborah. When you 
you get the initial pioneer rights established, there's a lot of compromises, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are kind of glossed over to avoid political impasses, and then it takes, it takes a lot of stamina to act on the lessons learned from those frustrations. And I think of passing a free speech law as like the first step in a long journey, um, and it's right. a lifelong Like commitment. a 41-year journey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, John, back to you for a moment. There is... Um, there is this other statute. I mean, I knew Sarbanes-Oxley mm -hmm. and I knew Dodd-Frank. I did not know the Taxpayer First Act, um, and um, but it was on your agenda of items to talk about. And um, I have to admit, it's 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 another version of protecting private sector corporate employees in a different category of whistleblowing. Tell our listeners about it. Yeah, I think it's important to step back and just think about the revolution in whistleblower law and policy we've seen in recent years. Because uh, it's whether it's a, somebody reporting on tax fraud or somebody reporting on securities fraud or fraud in commodities trading, trading we have seen uh, enormous progress. Uh, and you know, the way I like to oversimplify this body of law is you have what Tom was referring to as the free speech protections or anti-retaliation provisions. And then you have reward provisions. And considering the amount of uh, sacrifices whistleblowers go through to expose corruption, get the truth out, uh, there needs to be a system of incentives for people to step forward. And what we have in the private sector is a really powerful set of, of incentives, uh, these rewards that essentially enable – whistleblowers to get a share of the government's recovery uh, from fraud. Does Dodd-Frank Dodd allow for that? Yes, it does. So we have... Um, it's like the False Claims Act. You it, get a percentage of That was of the original what, model, right? Mm -hmm. So the False Claims Act is the gold standard because mm -hmm. it enables you to go to court even if the government pursue, uh, elects not to pursue. Right. Uh, you get to, uh, so... Um, key TAMs. Key TAM. Um, but in general, we have across the uh, private sector a host of uh, reward provisions that complement uh, the free speech slash anti-retaliation provisions. And so I, th I think it's important to focus on that because that is what we need to support whistleblowers. We know that they go through quite a lot and there's a lot of people sitting on the fence about whether it's worth stepping forward and putting themselves through all that trauma and making it financially feasible is critical to that. So we, we as an organization, a National Whistleblower Center, are really prioritizing trying to spread the word about the existing war, reward provisions and uh, expanding them. So with that as a preface, now we go to the Taxpayer First Act. So we already had very powerful reward provisions for tax fraud whistleblowers. What we lacked was anti-retaliation provisions of any value whatsoever. So just this past month in July, we uh, the president signed the Taxpayer First Act, and it has a host of anti-retaliation provisions for tax fraud whistleblowers. And those tax fraud whistleblowers are employees inside a company who have information about the tax filing or the not tax filing right. of their company that would be a fraud in the tax system. They're typically inside the companies, though the legal definition of the whistleblower is not limiting. If anybody who has inf original information about tax fraud can step forward and file. Um, so we have, uh, you know, uh, reinstatement provisions, compensatory damages. We have a critical language that essentially uh, uh, enables people to uh, not be forced into mandatory arbitration, which, uh, you know, is a common problem with corporate whistleblowers. Uh, and uh, they get regular updates, uh, which is not happening right now from the IRS on the status of their petitions. So, Because um, they have, do they have to file first with yes. the IRS their disclosure before they um, – before they're able to go and exercise their rights in court. That's correct. Yeah. And so the problem was that they would make their disclosure inside the IRS and then they might not hear back from the IRS anything. For years. For years, which yeah. Tom reminds me of making a disclosure to OSC, you know, if you're a federal employee. Well, there was one case where um, they hadn't heard anything for several years and kept asking about it. And finally, the whistleblower got a good lawyer who somebody we actually would talk to from the IRS and they found out they'd lost the disclosure. <laughs> uh, so it, it was very dysfunctional, but um, I think they're ready for a great leap forward now. So John, back to you. So the new law that was signed in just last month gives them protection from retaliatory personnel actions taken against them. Correct. And so the Taxpayer First Act looks like, I'm sort of curious from your other colleagues at the table here, it looks like a model. It has the rewards it covers retaliatory actions. It allows you to go into court. Um, does it cover retaliatory investigations? 
not explicitly, but um, we think that that's a logical extension. The case law is that all of the private sector whistleblower right. laws cover retaliatory investigations, so it's silent that's on that one. Right. So it's silent. So um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on whether you think there could be a reward system inside the federal system, like a WPA um, reform, Tom, where um, the employee gets some sort of um, – um, you know, incentive, you know, um, to make a disclosure. I wonder if that's workable. Um, you know, employees should receive bonuses for effectively protecting the public under current law. And unfortunately, that's kind of a fantasy. Uh, the idea of um, giving a bounty to a federal worker for doing their job, that could create a real backlash. And yeah. In fact, it's been a bright line yeah. in the False Claims Act that um, you're not eligible to file those whistleblower lawsuits unless you've knocked on every door and uh, every door has been shut and, and locked against you. Um, so it's it's okay as a last resort to let federal workers into that system, uh, but only as a last resort. I know. So um, there may be some problems with um, how to fact how to factor what a bounty should be because um, you know not every whistleblower disclosure is going to end up saving money. Uh, so sometimes it's going to require more money being spent by the agency, and so kind of tying it to money saved, which is what uh, how how it works in KTM may not may not necessarily translate. But I think to Tom's point that you should be receiving bonuses and common from the agency for for doing for doing this work, um, I think that is definitely workable. That may usually, be the answer. Right? Usually, the bonuses come to the people who engage in retaliation right. against whistleblowers. Right. I think the principle is one we want to carry over. Yeah. There ought to be some incentives. It may not be a reward tied to right. savings. Which, by the way, in the private sector, if you can look at some of these graphs, are really impressive. The large, you know, billions of dollars that whistleblowers have saved for the U.S. taxpayers. And so when you see these reward payments being issued, you realize it's just a tiny slice of the amount of money that's being brought to the back yeah. And and I guess, uh, Liz, you sort of make that point clearer for me. In the private sector, they're blowing the whistle on truly a financial mm-hmm. Sarbanes-Oxley, Dodd-Frank, and the Taxpayer First Act. These are truly financial um violations that they're blowing the whistle. Not on. limited to that. There's no, actually reward just... provisions across a whole host of statutes. And the one that I have a particular expertise in because I've worked in wildlife conservation a good part of my career is we have you know a, a good number of wildlife laws that are largely under heavily underutilized mm-hmm. but essentially say pay rewards to those who help expose wildlife crime. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about wildlife trafficking uh, which is one of the you know most significant threats to the survival of species around the planet. Right now, we could be exposing way more cases of illegal wildlife trafficking if we spread the word that you will share in the reward of any fines and penalties that come out of those prosecutions. Uh, so, because those statutes already have a rewards right. built into it, now, underutilized, a, but there's a statutory provision. Right. And we're trying to uh, light a fire under that those provisions by moving a bill in Congress that's pending right now in the House, introduced by Representatives Young and Garamendi, uh, H.R. 864, essentially that makes it much more explicit that there is all these uh, penalties that actually adds the RICO provisions, organized crime uh, provisions to the uh, wildlife statutes. And um, it it also uh, creates a dedicated funding mechanism where the money goes back to conservation. Um, So to us, that's sort of a model. It shouldn't be limited to just financial frauds. Any kind of crimes and penalties that that whistleblowers are helping to expose, they should be sharing in those rewards. Yeah, but it gets to Liz's point. I think it's hard to monetize it inside the federal system. In the federal, it's very different. Right, right. But it sounds like that's another uh, square in the patchwork of protections we've got here. (laughs) Uh, The the wildlife. The wildlife, yeah. 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 So – we're going to be heading into the last segment of our show um, in, in a moment, but um, I want to get back to um, sort of the, no pun intended, Tom, but the gaps in um, the, the laws governing the federal workforce um, because those, gla- those gaps appear to be, I don't want to, you know, overstate it, but they appear they could be closing, you know, the, the, particularly with the private sector laws um, getting used now for more than a decade and getting litigated, you're starting to see um, a comparison between how the protections in the private sector are working versus in the federal system. And the gaps for you in the law um, um, 
you, you highlighted at the beginning of the show, lack of a jury trial, retaliatory investigations. Those are your two big ones, right? And lack of effective access to temporary relief. And lack of to temporary relief. So when we come back, we're going to take the last break of our show. I want to talk um, a little bit more about the retaliatory investigation, th- th- those three things, because most of our listeners are really focused on that. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. It's a deep dive into the rights protections for whistleblowers in our country, not just federal workers, um, but whistleblowers out there in corporate America. And who better to have to talk um, whistleblower protections than my three guests? I have the executive director for the National Whistleblower Center, John Kostiak. I have the director of public policy at the Project on Government Oversight. I trip over that, Liz, because I want to say POGO, Liz Hempowitz. And of course, I have my dear friend, Tom Devine, the legal director at the Government Accountability Project, GAP. Um, and so in the last part of our show, um, you know, Tom, working with you for the last five years, um, you were the one who I thought best articulated what I'd seen over and over again in my practice of law. And uh, I sat back and did nothing while you went out and advocated. And that's um, the, the, uh, the person who blows the whistle and momentarily finds themselves under investigation for something. And the power of the agency management to be able to open an internal investigation, either with um, management resources or to refer to the IG, it is a powerful, powerful retaliatory tool. And I commend you for being a strong advocate for at least as long as I've been working with you on it for five years. Tell us about where we are and the possibility of finally closing that gap. Um, we're optimistic. The House of Representatives has been very supportive about giving uh, equal rights against uh, which Hans says the private sector has. And we even had made some practice uh, progress in um, uh, earlier versions of the Whistleblower Protection Act. You can challenge um, the results of a retaliatory investigation, but you can't challenge the witch hunt when it's opened against you or it's pending, and that's the rub. And um, and for those folks who have to go out and, and hire a lawyer mm-hmm. to protect themselves, um, they get their legal fees when they win the personnel action, and they get their fees on the personnel action, but they don't get their legal fees um, for having to defend themselves in that investigation. And you know, Tom, if you don't have a lawyer, when you go in and see the IG, the chances are you oh. will not do well. Yeah, I mean, it's the third degree in many of these cases. It's, uh, and uh, the, the flaw in this is just so frustrating because you can keep a retaliatory investigation cycle open indefinitely. Um, you uh, can't lose with them. The worst that'll happen uh, is that you close the case and then you can start a new one in another month or two on different charges. We call them serial witch hunts. Uh, they're much less muss and fuss than due process, firing somebody and having to write paperwork and lawyers and hearings and depositions. All you need is one good bully. Um, and think of the chilling effect. I mean, if it's scary to be fired, it's terrifying to face the prospect of going to jail for blowing the whistle. Um, this is the Achilles heel of the Whistleblower Protection Act, and we're optimistic Congress is going to fix it. You, you have a bill pending, don't you? I mean, there's uh, uh, not, it hasn't been introduced yet, but there's some um, there's some uh, work, at least in the House. There's very serious work that's been going on most it. of this year uh, by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, and we're uh, 
we're really optimistic and appreciative how hard they've been working on it. It's a serious effort. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to mention here that whistleblower protections um, and and legislation related to whistleblowers uh, receives bipartisan support and has for a long time. And so this is one area that's really exciting to work on no matter what the political uh, reality is that's going on in Congress right now. I think, you know, everybody gets the the sense that Congress isn't doing much, but on certain issues like this, they are, they're doing a lot. And it's, it's really exciting to see. Mm-hmm. I really I do think, think that's worth bringing it up and yeah. emphasizing every single significant legislative It's in your mission initiative. statement, John, yeah. about uh, maintaining a bipartisan. That has been really fundamental to our yeah. success. And we are not going to let that one go, right? Yeah. <laughs> because uh, there aren't that many other issues that can brag the way we can about having uh, every significant legislative initiative having bipartisan backing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really careful as we move our initiatives through Congress uh, to ensure that both sides of the aisle are invested, are up to speed, are involved. And so far, uh, we've been able to, uh, you know, help these members uh, stay together and and keep a unified front. I think this may be one of the few issues in Congress where there is a bipartisan consensus to do the right thing, Mm -hmm. at least in the Marquis. In the private sector, it's been pretty genuine getting down into the details. But for the federal government employees, it's been everybody's in favor of whistleblower protection, uh, you know, on the marquee of the movie theater. But you get inside and it's a horror show. (laughs) Yeah. But in the end, you have, Tom, been extremely through persistence um, um, and I assume eternal optimism, been able to um, regularly fill gaps in the law for whistleblower protections. I'm curious, having the three groups, um, these good government groups in front of me, why do you think in today's political climate that there's this universal bipartisan, longstanding bipartisanship, mm-hmm. um, or not? it's not bipartisan, it's a, it's a support from both parties mm-hmm. for whistleblower protections. Why do you think that that's so? Well, I think that a lot of members, when they come to town, want to have something they can accomplish. And there is a track record with whistleblower laws and protections of delivering against waste, fraud, and abuse. And so we love to enable members of Congress to stand up and celebrate individual whistleblower victories because they can be part of the story of reducing waste, fraud, and abuse. I think that is what keeps them coming back to the table. I think uh, whistleblowers proved to us that we haven't lost control of our lives. Uh, It's so easy to think, well, there's nothing you can do. Huge corporations, huge government, um, um, we're we're a little bit helpless. And whistleblowers prove uh, through freedom of speech, uh, one person whose uh, ideas catch on and develop solidarity can change the course of history. You can beat City Hall when City Hall is selling you out. Mm -hmm. And to just shake your head and say, there's nothing I can do, that's a cop-out. And whistleblowers give us hope. Mm -hmm. I also think fundamentally, whether you're for big government or small government, we're all for government that works as it's intended to. And that's what whistleblowers are there to do, especially federal whistleblowers, so the employees and contractors. They're there to keep the keep the keep the show running the way it's supposed to, compliant with the law and with the regulations. Yeah. It, it has a nonpartisan uh, feel to it. Mm-hmm. I agree, Liz. Big government, small government, there's this nonpartisan feel that you know, the best information sometimes about whether it's working right or not for the taxpayer or in corporate mm-hmm. America, you know, for the shareholders is from the inside. Mm-hmm. Let me also make another point on this. There's some really complex challenges that Congress is facing right now. One that we're very focused on right now is the role of social media, right? They're involved now mm-hmm. in potentially affecting elections and terrorist attacks and wildlife trafficking. And so we're in part of that conversation, and it's very um, difficult to write a piece of legislation to tackle all that. Because one, of the First Amendment, well, right? First Amendment, right. Right, that's, that's our there, problem. There is some fundamentals we can all agree upon, which is these companies should not be lying to the shareholders and the public. So we have a number of whistleblower cases we're helping move through that are dealing with the impact of um, social media companies in promoting wildlife trafficking on their sites and illegal wildlife trafficking and in uh, promoting hate and terror content. Those are examples of you can put the statements that are made by these companies on the table next to what reality is going on, on the ground, that reality brought to us by whistleblowers, and see these enormous discrepancies. And so we can certainly get a bipartisan consensus that these companies should not be lying to us about the fundamental problem. We may not agree upon the complexities of the legislative solution, but let's start by having a friendly set of facts. Mm-hmm. And right now, unfortunately, these companies are giving us very bad information about the, the legal activity that's mm-hmm. happening on their websites. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I know that this is um, something we absolutely have to talk about. It's um, the push inside the federal community to get jury trials for whistleblowers. So, Tom, starting with you, how explain to our listeners why you would have a carve out for this particular kind of personnel action would get to go to district court in a jury trial while other types of personnel actions taken by the federal employer would remain inside of MSPB and have the MSPB process? I think it's basically um, because whistleblowing has the uh, political base to um, be the pioneer for more equal rights for federal workers. Um, uh, uh, Whistleblowing is one where um, people are risking their careers to defend citizens. And so it's a perfect symmetry for citizens to be the ones who determine justice there. Uh, And um, I'm confident that if that works out for whistleblowing, that it'll work out um, to provide jury trials for uh, all of the victims of violations of the merit system, uh, where political political priorities or pork barrel uh, replaces public Mm -hmm. service uh, for their employment. Um, But you gotta start somewhere. Uh, and this is the most uh, mm-hmm. this is the most likely way that we can establish that beach. Yeah, for me, it's sort of that underpinning of why the personnel action was taken against them. They disclosed something that the government, the executive branch of government, was doing that harmed the taxpayer, the citizen, the American. And to be able to have the American public judge that, I think is very important. Sometimes employee misconduct that they or or performance that they're that they have a personnel action taken against them for doesn't really relate that mm-hmm. that strongly back to the taxpayer citizen um, interest. Well, it takes the whistleblower to expose and warn the public about that. We think of whistleblowing not just as the freedom to protest, but as the freedom to warn. Uh, and to prevent avoidable disasters. And whistleblowers are, they're the Achilles heel of bureaucratic corruption that betrays the public trust. Uh, If you don't know what the government's doing, you can't possibly Mm -hmm. hold it accountable. And whistleblowers are our lifeline to find out the reality Mm -hmm. behind bureaucratic party lines. It took me a little bit initially to like wrap my brain around, why would we carve Mm -hmm. out... um, a whistleblower reprisal personnel action and send it to district court and leave the other personnel actions inside of MSPB until you sort of, you know, think about like, what's the whole underpinning to the personnel action? It's that exposure of something that's really in the public domain. Right. And often systemic problems at not just that agency, but how laws are being interpreted um, completely against how they were intended to be read. Yeah. And I think that it's that the, the, the uh, punch, the pow of that, the importance to the American public gets distilled down. Um, Tom and I have both been in front of MSPB AJs, which is where most personnel actions go, and it just gets distilled down. Like we're all inside the bubble, we're inside the, the bureaucracy, and you know, it's we're desensitized mm-hmm. to it. And I, I think there's a lot of value there, Tom, to taking it out to the American public. Like, hear what they thought was the fraud, waste, and abuse, and you decide as the taxpayer whether or not what happened to that employee is right. Well, it's not I'm only giving, right. it's not just giving the whistleblower a, a better chance of justice, it's that their defense against retaliation is serving the public's right to know. Right. Uh, and so it's a win-win in every sense, except for the people who are selling us out in secret. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, um, I knew that we would be pressed for time in our show. I do feel like we covered a lot of ground um, because we all were very well prepared. And I um, I want to um, thank my uh, guests for joining me. And I hope that um, when some of these laws start trickling through and getting passed, we can bring the band back together um, and, um, and celebrate some of those successes. We have John Kostiak, who's the executive director from the National Whistleblower Center. John, thanks for joining me on the thanks, show. Thanks, Deborah. Really enjoyed it. And um, we have Tom Devine, the legal director of the Government Accountability Project, where he's been um, for his entire career doing Godspeed's work. And, of course, we have Liz Hempowitz, who's the director of public policy at POGO, the Project on Government Oversight. You guys do great work. Um, Thank you all for joining us this morning.